0: Good morning, everybody. It is great to have you join us as well as have you in the house here with us today as we continue our series, Majestic A Thousand Names. I know you by a thousand names and I'll sing them back to you. I love that line in the song. We've definitely tried to leverage the verse in Matthew 6 9, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we know his names, It gives us such a better understanding of who our Heavenly Father is, who this God of the universe is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and it helps us define him through the lens of scripture and maybe not what you were necessarily told by someone else. And so we've been studying those names and I pray it's informing your prayer life as you work through these names and know them better. We've talked about Yahweh, Jehovah, We've even referenced El and all of the El's like El Gabor and El Roy and Elielan. Today, we're going to look at the name Adonai. Adonai, incredible Hebrew name of God that means the great Lord, our master. You know, in scripture, when we see Adonai, we find that it's developed out of a fear for misusing the name Yahweh. They were afraid that they would use this name incorrectly or they would abuse this name and they made sure that they did it by adopting Adonai. And we looked at Yahweh and how we developed Jehovah out of the vows of Adonai and the consonants of Yahweh to get this Adonai, which means majestic Lord, master, our total authority. Now, in our generation when we hear these terms like master and servant, it's, it's, it can be repellent at times. We, we think of just the evil of what we have seen in our past, and even that still exists in our society today of, of terrible, terrible masters uh, involve racism and abuse and evil and, and all sorts of atrocities. But when you talk about the master-servant relationship of scripture, we can't let those things Paint what God has set up as an illustration for us. But the problem is if we view it only through the lens of these wicked things that we've seen throughout the years and throughout time, we forget that the Hebrew writers are writing in a time period that didn't even have many of the titles we use today, like even boss and employee. And so they would reference them in these kinds of terms. But for a Hebrew writer to be writing about his Adonai. He's not speaking of someone who is awful and evil and cruel. He is speaking of someone who he adores and who adores him. I often think the best illustration to talk about the Adonai of scripture and this master-servant relationship would be that of a horse and its owner. The word add-on carries the idea of master-owner, and it's a master who dearly loves and dearly cares for what it owns. Now, if you know any, any horse owners, they are um, infatuated with horses. Could I just say, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. They adore horses and and they think about them. They draw them. They want more of them. They save up for them. And if if you know how much it is to purchase a horse, you could get a Honda or a horse, okay? Now some are just thoroughbreds, they just are born to run. There's others, they're just born, and you have them in these stables and you care for them, and these owners love them so much, and there's a relationship that develops where the horse begins to develop trust in its owner. And its owner teaches aspects of submission, aspects of care, aspects of love that help that horse build trust in it so that if you are unfamiliar with horses and a horse owner says, we're not gonna have you ride that one. You know they know something about that horse's personality and how to coach and train and lead that horse they love, and they love them all so dearly. This is kind of the illustration and idea I think best describes a Hebrew writer talking about his master, his Adonai, someone who loves him, cares for him, provides for him, but also sets up guide rails who also has guidelines, who also demands submission because they believe they have the horse's best interest always in mind. And so when you hear Lord in scripture in reference of Adonai, you'll hear it from the term of the one I voluntarily desire and love to follow. And that's why in the New Testament, where Jesus carries on the metaphor, often the phrase bondservant is used. A voluntary servant of my master, Jesus. You know, in scripture, you can identify where it's Adonai and Yahweh. Did you know that? A lot of times in your English translations, you'll see Yahweh as L-O-R-D, all caps. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's all caps and sometimes it's L and then lowercase O-R-D? If you've ever noticed that, you're seeing the difference between Yahweh and Adonai. I'll give you an example with our, our passage from Psalms. We read this, O Lord, our Lord. And as you develop that, you begin to see the relationship here. O Lord, great Elohim, great God of the universe, our Adonai. Our master, we're servants to you, Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And Adonai is throughout scripture, and it's speaking towards a working relationship, it's speaking towards a submissive relationship, it's speaking towards a loving relationship, and it's speaking towards a loyal relationship. Do not allow the evil of mankind to distort an incredible image that the Hebrew writers tried to put forward towards us of the Adonai that they loved. You know, I referenced that they didn't really have terms back then for a boss or an employee relationship that would be similar in some contexts. Of course, there were were wrong and terrible ones of that time period too. Please don't mistake in that. But I got thinking about bosses in my life that I have had as an authority figure over me. Can you think through some of your authority figures? Let me ask a question. Have you ever had a good boss? Now you thought I was going to ask bad. And and and, and we can quickly maybe think of a bad boss in our life, okay? Especially if you right out of college, you're getting all these crazy jobs, okay? You get all sorts of... I have worn uh, a lot of different shirts and hats and stuff from the different jobs. I mean, I once donned a Staples red shirt very proudly, okay? So, so I've had a lot of random jobs too that, that were great for that season of life. But I got thinking about the bosses in my life. Um, some may be good and, and maybe some not so good. And if your boss, which we have a pretty large church here, if they attend our church, don't look at them during this, okay? Like as I'm talking, you're not like, "Mm, are you listening? I got thinking about a certain job I worked. Where um, I worked with a boss that I was trying to get to know, and he's an extremely driven man. He was a, a successful man, and he built up a really great thing. And I wanted to get into a job that was a little bit more my style than what I enjoyed doing, right? I didn't want to just work jobs I didn't necessarily like, and so I applied at a sneaker store because I Kind of like shoes, okay? I'm being nice to myself, okay? And, and so I, I, I enjoyed that, and I wanted to work in a sneaker store, and I got the job. And it wasn't long till they all saw how much I loved shoes. And, and it wasn't the best for me. If you have a problem eating too much ice cream, you probably shouldn't work at like Rita's or something, right? Well, well, I'm working at a place where I'm falling in love with every shoe on the rack, Okay, and some of you know me growing up, they're like, oh yeah, this is real, this is real. Okay, and and especially the Jordan section, I struggled with tremendous wrong thinking towards that section, right? I mean, I'm working only to get those shoes, right? And so I'm in this thing, and and I thought that the way we were doing the merchandise in the back, it wasn't as good as it could be. And so I wanted to be a good employee, and so I was thinking of ways we can make the whole shoe organization run better. You see, I didn't realize, though, that my boss didn't like when you change stuff. (laughs) Have you ever been to a shoe store, and they go, okay, let me get that. What do you want, what size, 10? Okay, I'll be right back. And they don't come back for like 10 minutes. I know what's going on back there. It's this, where is that shoe? I mean, oh my word, and you're all over the place, especially if it's disorganized back there. So I took it upon myself to reorganize it one afternoon during work. We were a little slow outside, and I thought it would be better if the, we didn't line them up by size, but we lined them up even by brands and size. So I knew all the nines for every brand was here and every brand here, and I, and I kind of started moving around, and some of the employees like, came back and went, what are you doing? I'm like, what, this is gonna be way better. Oh no, what did you do? I'm like, what, this is gonna be awesome, look. And they're like, and one of the guys is like, yeah, that actually does make sense. I said, I know, right? I mean, come on, this is, this is so much easier, come back. And at that moment, our boss came in. What, what is this? What is this? And the way he asked it, I could tell it wasn't gonna go well. <laughs> Have you ever had your boss ask you a question you know it's not a good way? What is this? What, what's going on here? And they all did this. Chris thought he'd change everything. What? Do you realize how busy we are? What, uh, uh, get get these lined up. I'm like, well, I, you know, one of the things I was thinking, like, if we had this, and I'm like turned into visionary form. If we had these shoes over here, and he said this, Chris, I'll still remember this day. Chris, I don't pay you to think. Put the stuff back. Oh, that stung. I don't pay you to think. So I turned around like every good employee and I said, okay. And I went, I don't think. How about I, oop, oh, I forgot to think. I mean, I was pretty upset. You know, and I'm putting it all back, and the guys are like, it's a good plan, Chris. You just can't do that. I'm like, yeah, well, I kind of always operate with the model. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I was just working through that, and now I got all this stuff, and I'm going through this. And then this young girl who will always do my boss's bidding came walking in, and she said, Chris, um, you need to talk to the boss at the end of the day today. What about? I don't know. Oh that's great. I'm fired on my first like first week here. I tried to change one thing. You know, I don't even like that guy. You know how you start? I mean, he's, you know, maybe you should change because I don't pay you to think. I'm going to think. Of, I'm going to walk in there and tell him what No, I can't tell him what I think cuz I can't think here cuz I'm give I'm like all day long. All day, have you done this? Have you done this? All day long. I don't even know if I'll take lunch maybe I'll stay alone for lunch and you're, just all, you're frustrated all day because you're going to meet with him at the end of the day finally the end of the day came and I'm geared up he's going to ask me why did I do that and I'll go I don't know I'm not paid to think here so I don't know why I did I mean I'm all ready and I sit down and he goes you know what Chris this morning was a crazy morning and I saw what you did and I, I, I reacted but you know what It wasn't the worst plan in the world. Hmm. I mean, I actually was kind of impressed with it. And then I'm like, (laughs) hmm? Right? He's like, I'll tell you what. We can add some of that. But you can't do it without talking to me. I mean, there's a way we do things. And if you change it, it impacts that employee. And then that employee. And then they're in my office going, Chris can do whatever you want. There's a process here, man. You can't just do whatever you want here. I didn't really think of that. Yeah, there's a reason we have some of these things in place. That's what I'm saying, and you caught me at that moment. But look, maybe we can incorporate some of that. And I'll tell you what, I'm pretty impressed by all of it. Is there any way you could stay tonight? If you stay a little bit long tonight, I'll pay you time and a half, and I'll let you pick off a shoe from the rack. If you're listening on podcast, I just leaned into that. (laughs) A shoe from the rack? Yeah, I'll let you pick one off. And I looked at the Jordan section. He said, not that rack. I said, (laughs) ah. Here's my point. If you don't know the character of your boss, you begin to create narratives about the boss that aren't true. And then what happens is people who either like the boss or don't like the boss, will come along those narratives and they'll embolden them. Maybe they'll even rev them up a little bit. They're like, yeah, what a jerk he said that to you. And if you don't know who your boss is when it comes to the word of God, in our society, you're gonna get a negative bent. But if you know the boss of scripture, you are going to excitedly be taken care of by him like a horse who knows his owner would do anything for that horse and when you begin to understand your boss that way oh man you begin to pray to an Adonai who you enjoy working for and that is the heartbeat behind the call of a servant we're going to meet today who Adonai steps into his life. In fact, he calls him Adonai. Some of the men who called him Adonai in scripture, one was Moses, Joshua, Gideon, and none other than an understudied prophet, Jeremiah. What? Yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah referenced God as his Adonai. The weeping prophet? The weeping prophet. The one who was called to prophesy to Israel and was told that they wouldn't listen to him? Yes. The one who was called to prophesy God's truth despite hostility towards God's teaching? Yes. Jeremiah. And I pray as we study Jeremiah today, we will get a better character study of the Adonai of scripture than you may have had maybe even walking in here. Heavenly Father, use your word today to remind us that we don't have to serve Adonai. We get to serve him. And so, Lord, adapt our thinking. Lord, show us who you are. And Lord, may we find great joy in knowing that we have an owner who paid for us with his own blood, he died for us. And he calls us to follow him. He gives us orders, he gives us direction, he provides for us, he cares for us. Why? Because he loves us so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five. Scripture starts by saying, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now you're all now referencing, you're going, okay, so now the word of Yahweh came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We read that verse, and the first thing that sticks out to me is that Adonai, you know what he does? He selects. Adonai selects his servants and what's interesting about this text is I see that he does it even before Jeremiah was born before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were in mom I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you I set you apart and I appointed you a prophet God knew the plans he had for Jeremiah before he was even born This is a theological term that means foreknowledge. Foreknowledge doesn't mean just to have a prior knowledge of Jeremiah. Foreknowledge incorporates the idea that he had knowledge as well as a prior relationship. You see, it's verses like these that make people who have submitted to scripture stand so strongly for thoughts like sanctity of life. For they see verses like this and they say, this is how God works. And they take those and they understand the character of God and how he calls. He knew Jeremiah, he formed Jeremiah, he called Jeremiah, he appointed Jeremiah. And Jeremiah responds and says, I said, I said, ah, Adonai, or ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. Now I raise my hand here and I say, "Now wait a minute! You're talking. How can you say I don't know how to speak?" Some scholars argue that Jeremiah is between the ages of 25 and 30. Anybody around that age? I don't know how to speak. What are you saying? Well, there's a difference between you guys all talking before the service and another difference between me walking up for you and going, "Hey, I don't feel good. Could you speak?" There's a difference, right? And this is what Jeremiah is referring to. He's saying. I don't speak in front of people. I'm not good at that. In fact, Jeremiah is a a priest, so his father would have been a priest, and he kind of knows what that entails, and he's saying, I kind of know what this is all about, and I'm not in. I'm not good at that. You know, David got a call at the age of 30. Jesus started his his, his specific ministry at 30. There's something about the age of 30, for that is the same age of the priestly ministry. Anybody 30 in here? Big year, big year. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. Don't don't say that. For to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. I've learned something about Adonai. He selects his servants, and you know what he does? He commands his servants. He gives them orders that they are to follow. And what's interesting is, Jeremiah comes back with, "But I'm young." And God says, "Don't say that. That's not an out." Youth isn't an out. I'm not saying being a novice or not. I'm not talking about experience. But age is not gonna be the factor if God has called you to do something. I command you. You know, sometimes we've even teased, my wife and I, with one another, when I'll say like, hey guys, we're, we're heading out to church, especially when they were younger, right? We don't really get this now. In fact, praise the Lord. But when they were younger, especially, we'd hear sometimes again, and we're out here a lot, you can imagine, right? Hey, we're going out. Oh, like, come on, guys, we're going to church. I, I didn't really want to go. I was like, hey, hey, Becca, yeah. Did I, was it a question? Did Dad like say, was that like with a question mark? No, I didn't hear a question mark. Yeah, I didn't hear a question mark either. Okay, come on. What was my point? I'm not really asking. We had this thing in the house, don't ever ask, especially when they become like adult children, teenage children, and when you have those different age groups, you don't say, hey, guys, what do you want for dinner? Oh, it's going to go south. Just say, this is what's coming. It's going to go south. It, it, it goes south quick. And the idea here is God is saying to Jeremiah, I, didn't really, was, I really wasn't like going, what do, you got, what do you think, Jeremiah? I'm telling you what you're going to do. And if I'm your Adonai, you're going to obey. Adonai commands, he says, I will send, I will command, I will guide, I'll protect, I'll instruct. God's taking complete ownership and a boss that takes ownership is worth following. This is on me. I asked you to do it and I've commanded you and whatever you do, you're gonna do. And then he says, do not be afraid of them. It's like God understands that Jeremiah's got a little bit of thing going on he don't want God to know you know you're not keeping any secrets from God, right? You know he knows exactly what you're afraid of. Unfortunately, doesn't it feel like the enemy does too? In fact, usually the things you're most afraid of are often the things exactly what God's calling you to do. Why are you so afraid of it? Because the enemy can't afford to have you do it do not be afraid of them. I know you're afraid of the people. It's like God says, I know what's going on. I know you. I'm with you, and I'm going to deliver you. Wait, deliver? He's going to be attacked? See, Jeremiah knows something about the time period he's ministering in, there's going to be pushback for me telling them a message from you, my I. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be people who don't want to hear from you. And if I share that, there's going to be some struggle. Don't be afraid of them, for I am there to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord, Jeremiah says, he put out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I love this. Adonai empowers his servants. He doesn't just command them, he gives them the power to fulfill what he's called them to do. Isn't it amazing when we feel the weight of something we're called to do, we look at it through the lens of what we're capable of, not through the lens of what we're capable of in the Lord's strength, And here, Adonai saying, I'm not only gonna command you what to do, I'm gonna empower you, Jeremiah. I have put my words in your mouth. Now, I don't know how many people have ever had a chance to speak at a Sunday school class, a small group, um, maybe you've led something where you're, you're the leader of it and you've been given out the, the words of God. I'm not talking about new revelation here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about an opportunity in your life where you've gotten to share a devotional, share your time, and, and the Lord used what you said to bless somebody. It's a really amazing thing when you can tell that that came from the Lord even through your own mouth. And, and anybody who's ever taught knows exactly what I'm talking about. There have been Sundays where I have been preaching and I could tell that's what the Lord had to say that I hadn't even necessarily planned for. And it's been a great illustration in my own life that I have put my words in your mouth. That has been a part of pastoral ministry. I have so many neat stories how God has done some really cool things, even on Sundays, through the words that I've gotten to be the vessel. I often say, Lord, I I got enough of my own problems. Just don't let the vessel get away of the message. Don't let this whole thing get in the way of what you want to share today. You know, there is a story one time where it was a Saturday night and I read a passage that I was randomly went to because I was looking through just some parallel accounts. And I'm reading this going, oh man, that would actually be perfect for what I want to say tomorrow. Oh, but it's Saturday night. And, the, and just didn't want to get off of me. As for I got to include that. There have been nights where I have been led to something even as late as Saturday night and shared it Sunday morning. And sometimes having stayed up all night to do it because here we go. This has got to be included. I got to study this out. In the past three months, you have seen me speaking at 8:30 in the morning, having stayed up all night at one point or another, just to make sure that you're a vessel that the Lord can use on that Sunday. And this specific time, this Saturday night late, I'm like, oh, I got I to include, I just really feel the Lord's leading me to include this. I came out and I spoke it that morning and someone comes up to me after the service and says, you know what, I'm in a really tough spot and you can see emotionally. He said, I was just driving around the town this morning and I came down through Fifth Street and it was just like, I'm supposed to pull in there and go to that church. And they're like, I, don't know. I was looking at your church going, I don't even know, I went to the wrong building when I came in and I came in here, and you know that part in the message where you talked about that passage of scripture? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was as if God said, I wanted you to hear that, and I'm going, that's why I stayed up all night, right there. Have you ever been like just counseling somebody with a verse in scripture, and you're sharing, and you're going, hey, that was actually pretty good. I ought to apply that myself. And you're like, thank you, Lord, for using me to minister to somebody. I've also had God prompt me to leave stuff out that I'm very grateful for, too. You know, our prayer partners always pray, Lord, help Chris not to go somewhere he shouldn't go. Because it's just a vessel. I've also preached some messages where I have felt terrible about them and God's used them effectively. I remember specifically speaking at, a, at a, a basketball tournament, and all the guys were on the court, and I'm sharing the gospel. They had asked me sharing, share, and I was sharing it, and I got done, and I'm looking at the crowd. They looked like they just wanted to die, okay? Like, could you be done, man? We wanna play hoops, right? And I'm like, I get done. I'm like, man, it's like the worst gospel message I've ever preached in my life. And I'm sitting in the back room. I'm like bummed out. I was like, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm like, that was terrible. Like, what were you even saying? What were you even saying, Chris? Like, this is what speakers go through. And I'm sitting back there, and this guy knocks on the door. He says, hey, Chris, there's two of the athletes out here. They wanted to talk to you for a quick second before the tournament starts. I'm like, yeah, probably going to tell me, like, can we get a new speaker next year, you know? <laughs> and they come in. These guys go, can we, um, can we talk about what you were saying about giving your life to Christ? I had a chance to lead them both to the Lord. I've also finished up gospel presentations going, that was the best gospel presentation <laughs> I've ever pre- And it's done nothing, okay? So, so the Lord uses his servants why? Because he is working together his plan. Adonai is always in control and using us to fulfill his purposes. And that's why he says to Jeremiah in verse 10, See, I have set you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build up and to plant now we all look at that and you go there's probably some inductive study we could get out of that let me break it down for you to pluck up and to break down i am giving you authority over agriculture during this season of your ministry to destroy and to overthrow a militant term do not worry about militant a- aspects to build and to plant construction you see god saying i'm going to be there for you and i'm going to work through you in every situation i've called you but there was a phrase that stuck out to me in my notes and that was that first phrase it says see I have set you and I put Adonai places his servants you ever play chess do you understand the strategic movements of the different pieces from a queen to a king to a knight they have different guidelines they have different ways they can move Some can move sideways, some can move in an L pattern, some can move forward and backward. But they have commands on them guiding their movements. They're strategically placed in the conflict to maneuver through anything they face. It's as if Adonai says, I have strategically placed you. All of God's kids have been strategically placed. You're not at that workplace you currently are at for no random reason. There's no coincidences with God. You're not in that classroom. You're not in that college. You're not in that family on accident. You have been strategically placed. The Apostle Paul was thrown into prison And during his time in prison, where you would say, God, why are you allowing the great apostle Paul to be in prison? He put him in prison, and in prison he had nothing to do, so he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians. Anybody grateful he was strategically placed for a season to write? You might have been strategically placed in a hospital bed for a few days. I'm not saying that because we lived in a sin-cursed earth, we live with attacks and difficulties and trials, for we do. But make no mistake, there's a reason you are where you are. And maybe God has you there in order for him to do his next great work. And the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, and he said this, Jeremiah, what do you see? This is a neat part of the passage where Jeremiah talks about two visions he sees. Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see an olive branch. Interesting. I see an olive branch. Now, the olive tree was the first one to bud, so there's a preeminence to it. It carried life and exuberance, so there was hope to it, and it carried the idea of authority and that it was preeminent. Jeremiah, do you see it? I see an olive branch. Your ministry is going to blossom, and I'm going to use it, and you're going to speak the words of God, and it's going to grow, and it's going to blossom, and it's going to build up. The Lord said to me, you have seen well, Jeremiah, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What I've led you to do, I'm going to do it. You are my strategic piece. I'm going to do it. Then the word of the Lord came a second time, though, saying, what do you see? Remember what he saw? He said, I I see a boiling pot. I, I see a boiling pot. Scripture talks about this. What what is this? This isn't as pretty as a tree. What's going on here? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. The Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls and around all its gates and cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the work of their own hands. What's going on here? Jeremiah season. Olive tree, my ministry will blossom, but also part of my ministry is telling them of the judgment that is coming from the north for Israel has betrayed the Lord their God and they're now worshiping Canaanite gods. And when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And the discipline will be Babylon coming down through the Assyrian camp into Jerusalem and sieging it. Jeremiah, Will tell them that also your ministry will build up and it will also tear down you will have a message of hope for many and you will also have a message of judgment god's giving what some people have penned a phrase double vision this is a this is a leadership phrase all organizations know the power of double vision leading what, what do i mean well Visionaries or people leading visions or missions and strategies for the future, they often have double vision. They see something attractive and they're drawn to it. All first-time business owners or startup businesses, it's going to be awesome. And then they go to Shark Tank. (laughs) And they're told, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And you see them, no, it's not you're mean, right? i mean, but that's dumb, right? And you're just like, ah, uh, there's such attractive vision, and it draws you, and you sell things, and you get things. We're going to build this awesome business, but, but leaders who see with double vision also see the possible downfalls and the traps and the snares that could come from certain decisions. You see, One's a positive vision and one's a negative vision. One's an almond tree and one's a boiling pot. Both propel you to action. Have you ever noticed that? The attractive vision draws you. Was <laughs> it the one movie where the, the bees are flying around at the light? It's so pretty, right? Zap, right? It's attractive. But then there's also a vision, if you're an organizational leader, you probably have some negative visions of the future for your thing too. And they're repellent. And you want to try to avoid them. God is saying both a positive and negative message will come in the eye of the hearer. Or excuse me, the ear of the hearer. But you, Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. Get up, let's go, arise, and say to them everything that I command you. I'm going to tell you what to say, and you say it. And do not be dismayed by them. Don't be afraid of them, lest I dismay you before them. One of my favorite commentators writes about this verse. He says, what an incredible verse to cure the fear of man. For the greatest anecdote to the fear of man is the fear of God. I want to obey God more than make men happy is a challenge for every child of God living in a time period that's hostile to the things of God. Behold, Jeremiah, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land and against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. I'm going to make you indestructible for your mission. I have strategically placed you. Adonai shields his servant. The great Adonai made him a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. Jeremiah, you're going to be indestructible. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord to deliver you. Adonai shields his servants. They're not going to prevail against you. I will shield you. But, but, but God, if you're shielding him, why is he going to sometimes take attacks? Because he lives in a sin-cursed earth and he's called to a mission that not all people are going to like. There are things in this scripture that repel people. I don't want to live like, I don't want something telling me what to do. But when you know the God of the Bible is a loving God, a caring God that seeks to protect, and when he says don't do it, he means don't hurt yourself because he dearly loves you. You're drawn to it. One's positive, one's negative. One's attractive, one's repellent. Adonai Anything that happens, any damage that may occur will not prevail against you, Jeremiah, for I will shield you. Jeremiah, a tough calling, a hard calling, a calling where he's told that you're gonna speak and no one's gonna listen. And maybe that's why Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet for how difficult his call was. I mean, imagine, you go into pastoral ministry, you say, Pastor Chris, I wanna speak, and I sit you down, I go, okay, now listen, now we're calling you this ministry, no one's gonna listen to you. In fact, some people are gonna rise up against you, and um, it won't end all that well, praying for you. You have middle school. No, 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 that's that's not, that's not what. But I mean, come on. I look at this message, and I'm like, wow, that is incredible. But then there's part of me that goes, whew, at least that's the Old Testament. And Jesus came and changed everything. But but isn't Jesus also our master and Lord? I mean, have you ever seen, and I don't want to pick on you. If you have this hat, I love you dearly in the Lord. But you ever see some of the corny Christian stuff we have? There's one, it's called Jesus is my boss hats. Have you ever seen them? I almost feel like that's Christian saying, I ain't listening to anybody like you, right? And they got their Jesus is their boss, but. You know, even Jesus says, you know, you call me master and Lord, and you do say it well, for so I am. It's like Jesus saying, well, in, in a way, yeah. You can't serve two masters, You love the one or hate the other, but you can't serve them both. And if you're going to serve me, you need to do what I say. Jesus isn't an addition to your life. He is submission. He is one to be submitted to. And he called his disciples into a very hostile time against the things of God, just like Adonai called Jeremiah. Jesus, the same God, the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says to his disciples how they are to live. And you know what I did? Because we don't really think through the terms of master, servant too much. We kind of understand a working relationship is often called a boss and a servant. I, I grabbed some boss language for us. And if there's any bosses in here, and I'm not talking about the older sister who everybody's like, she's the boss of the family. But if you want to lead people well and you're commissioning to them to a difficult task, I think there's some lessons to be learned in here and I think it teaches us also about Jesus. Briefly go with this, through this. He says, behold. Watch this paralleled with Jeremiah's call. Behold, I'm sending you, he says to his disciples. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, that's not so exciting. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents, I want you to watch out and avoid the snares that might be set for you. But I want you to do it by being innocent as doves. I'm not saying do it corruptly. I'm not saying do it dishonestly. I want you to be innocent, but I want you to be wise for the snares and traps that might be set for you as I send you out into the wolves. You see, a good boss believes in their workers. I believe you'll do a great job. A great boss commissions them. I'm going to entrust you with this. I don't just believe in you. Your boss could believe in you for nine years. Are you ever going to give me an assignment? He commissions them and entrusts them with his word. He says, beware of them, for they'll deliver you over to the courts and they'll flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. See, a good boss will warn their workers. Hey, it's going to get tough out there, but a great boss will prepare their workers. Get some ready. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to come. I'm not just warning you. I'm preparing you. Jesus continues. When they deliver you, do not be anxious. I don't want you worried about what you're going to speak or what you're going to say. For what you are going to say, I'm going to give it to you in that hour. Look at the parallels now of Jeremiah's call. Isn't that unbelievable? You see, A good boss feels for their workers. this is that. I kind of feel for you. A great boss comforts their workers. It's one thing, yeah, I really feel for you. It's a tough job. It's another thing to say, I want to comfort you. I'm going to be there in those moments where it gets really hard. You have an Adonai who says, I'm going to be there in those moments that you're spending a lot of time in front of the mirror figuring out what you're going to say when it happens. I'm going to be there. Jesus continues with them, and he says, not only when they deliver you over, it's not you who is going to speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you, and he's going to prompt you as to how you're going to respond. See, a good boss will support their workers. I'm behind you. I support you. A great boss empowers their workers to get their job done. Here's what you need. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to equip you and empower you. And Jesus says something that kind of makes us all step back. He says, guys, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will even rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my majestic namesake. What? Yeah. When you're hated for being one of my servants, it's not because they really hate you they hate my name. It's my name. What extreme ownership Jesus takes of our call. But he says, the one that endures to the end, they're gonna be saved. See, a good boss celebrates their workers. Great job, everybody. A great boss rewards their workers. I mean, it's one thing to be celebrated by your boss. Thank you, I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. It's another to be rewarded by your boss. Thank you. Jesus says, I'll reward you. When they persecute you in one town, I want you to flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man returns. See, God works very differently. Jesus coaches his guys very differently. He doesn't say, I want you to build an army, and I want you to fight back. I want you to change all of society. He says, I want you to keep moving. We're not here to change that. We're here to get the message out. See, a good boss teaches their workers. A great boss coaches their workers. When this is going to happen, I want you to do this. Not just here's what you should do. I want you to handle it this way. I step back. I go, look at all these principles that if anybody's a boss in here, or maybe God someday calls you to be a boss, that you could apply in the workplace and model Christ commission and entrust people, prepare them, comfort them. Don't, don't just feel bad for them, comfort them. Don't, don't just tell them what they need to do. Empower them with what they do. Don't just celebrate them, reward them. Don't just teach them, coach them. But the greatest thing that Jesus has shown us in his leadership, if he's your boss, you have a boss that not only does all those things, but you have a boss that serves What? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Show me a great boss, and I will show you a servant leader. Show me a great boss, and I'll show you a servant leader. For Jesus served those who followed him so much that he said, you can put that nail right there and you can put that nail right there. For I have given my life to pay for theirs, to buy them back, they're mine. And I lay down my life for them. That is the master of scripture. That is an awesome, awesome boss. what what will they do? What will will happen when you lead like that? What kind of name will they give you? Well, Jesus says, oh, they gave me a name. Oh, we got a name of Jesus in this story? Oh yeah, they gave me a name. Here here it is. He says this, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's not enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. You're not going to be just like him. You're going to go through the same experiences. So if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul or the devil how much more will they malign those of his household? They called Jesus the devil for how he lived. That's what they called him for being so loving. You know, they're saying of our time period that um, it's even being labeled, especially this time as we come and we hopefully and prayerfully continue to move out of a pandemic. They're calling it the culture of contempt. Anger, conflict. And, and that makes sense, right? Because there's a grieving process and much has been lost over the past couple years. People are feeling loss everywhere. Loss of control, loss of a sense of control, loss of a loved one, loss of relationships, loss of their desires for their country, whatever it is. There's a lot of loss, and in a grieving period, through the loss, you go through different stages in a grieving period. There's the shock of it, there's denial, but there's also anger, and someone needs to take the blame for what has happened. And when there's anger, there is enemies, and all of a sudden, you have this call to follow your Adonai, and there's an enemy that comes along. And see what the enemy, the devil wants you to do is to think that this person is your problem, but it's actually him because we don't fight against flesh and blood. And your boss, Jesus, has given you some specific guidelines on how to operate with enemies that might be in your family, that might be in your workplace, that may be your enemy and you didn't even know it. And there's three specific guidelines he gives. And if you're honest with yourself, they're not that easy to submit to. You know, there's some verses in scripture we don't really like. Have you ever thought of this one? Consider it all joy, my brothers, when going through trials. I don't like that one. Until you know the context. You might not like these, but this is how you're called to treat your enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 44. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your enemy. Excuse me, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, see, I say to you, I want you loving and praying for your enemy. But I don't want, I want to, I want you to love and pray. Are you willing to obey me? Here's another one. He says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. In this culture of attempt, he wants me praying, he wants me doing good, he wants me even blessing. And when he says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. I'm trying to follow you, but this, I mean, did you hear what they say? He gives us a third one. Repay no one evil for evil. Someone does evil to you, don't repay evil. But give thought to what you do and do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do the hard right thing. And if possible, you can't make it depend on everybody else because people may hate you for no other reason. But if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all but he won't forgive me, live peaceably with him as far as is possible with you. But he's in my way, but, but he doesn't think the way I, th- he does. live peaceably. Why would he do this? Why can't we just, because vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. One of my buddies in seminary said, why would you slap someone on the wrist when God had a train prepared for him over a track? You have your process that pray for your enemies might be, if I follow these scriptures, Gabor will fight for me and they need some prayer. Because when we obey God, even with enemies, we can confidently say, the Lord is for me. The Lord is my helper. If I go out there and fight my own battles, I can't confidently say God is with me. If I go out there and do it my way and say what I gotta say and do this and hurt somebody back and repay them evil, I can't confidently say the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. The Lord is with me as a child of God, but I can't say that God's fighting that battle for me because I've chose to fight it my way. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. When we obey his commands, even when we don't like them, we remind him that we look to him as our adonai it changes your prayer life my lord my master you know in our final few minutes i want to ask you what kind of what kind of servant are you especially in the workplace for what a better opportunity for us to do all things for the glory of god I shared some great aspects about being a boss, and maybe some of you are bosses, or maybe you're watching Day of Your Boss. But what if you're a worker? How can you be a light in your workplace? Can I leave you with five things I believe almost every employer would want to see in their employees? If you're a young person about to get your first sneaker store job, call me up. If you're about to interview for something or you're about to maybe change positions, These are things that trend across leadership circles. I call them my five C's. And they might be ways that you can do all things for the glory of God, for you work for him ultimately, not even your human authorities. You only submit to them out of reference to the Lord. And so how can you go about your work week that way? Well, the first C, a good worker is correctable. You can correct them and they make changes, but a great worker is coachable. What do I mean? They accept challenges. They don't just see the challenge, they accept the challenge. Oh, when you have an employee who goes, I'll take that challenge, they accept it and they go for it. A great worker is coachable in that they receive critique, not get defensive. Your first week on the job and somebody gives you critique and you go, don't tell me what to do, you're not gonna be there that long. You're not gonna be there that long. If you're trashing your employer on Facebook, They're gonna see it, and you're not gonna be there that long as well. You gotta be able to take critique. They gotta be coachable, and they gotta expand their abilities. There's nothing more exciting for an employer to see an employee growing their skill package. One of the greatest pieces of wisdom I was given when I got my first job was, Chris, get to know the company as best you can and do as much as you can. It makes you irreplaceable. Be not only correctable, be coachable. Here's the second one. Told you I would go quick. Be considerate. A good worker is empathetic and thinks about other people and all these things, but a great worker is considerate. One, they have self-awareness. If you're in a cubicle and you're working next to somebody and you're talking extremely loud or playing your music too loud or putting 90 pictures of your family up right next to them, you're not necessarily thinking about the other workers. But when a boss sees somebody who thinks about the other people just as much as themselves or hopefully more, they're known as considerate. They're also discerning. Find me an employer who loves an employee, and I bet that employee is discerning in their decision-making. I could do this, but it could be a poor reflection on what we're trying to do as an organization. Discerning people work their way up through the chain. And then trustworthy. The ability to keep a confidence. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to high-level leaders say, I would love to promote that person, but they can't keep their mouth shut. They're coachable, they're considerate. A good worker is always communicating, but a great worker is clarifying. You know, it's great, communication is wonderful, and there are employees they love to talk and communicate, but when they're clarifying employees, they go to a whole nother level. Why do I say that? Because they begin to hear the problem, see the tension, and they go, I think we can come up with ways to simplify these methods. Imagine being an employer and hearing one of your employees go, okay, I think I hear what you're saying. Why don't we come up with some simple language that all of us can live by, and then what I'll do is I'll collect some of the passions that we have like going at it here at this table. I'll collect these thoughts, and then we're going to implement a solution with all of us. They become clarifying employees, and I'm telling you, you can't let them go. Oh, a good, a good employee is communicating. A great employee is clarifying then two more a good worker is productive oh turn on your instagram apps be productive work less hours do this all this. you'll see all this a good worker is productive make no mistake but a great worker is collaborative they collect ideas from the organization they cultivate unity they build teams and delegate The ability to multiply and oversee is a forgotten art that enables employers to trust you at an entirely different level than just you. Oh, a good employee. Yeah, they're productive, but a great employee is collaborative. Hey, uh, we were working together as a team. We thought this one idea would be great. We wanted to present it to you next week. And um, if you're good with it, this team is going to create some solutions to work with it. Huh? 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 And then finally, a good worker is consistent. They show up when it's time to show up. They work until it's time to go home. That's a good employee. That's rare as well. But a great employee is committed. A great employee is committed. They're reliable. You can trust them with the job. They're faithful. They will follow through and they'll think about how it impacts you. And they're loyal. They're not quick to take up another person's offense. And when you have those five C's rolling, not only are you going to find a lot of encouragement in the workforce, you're going to represent your heavenly father very well. Shouldn't believers be some of the best workers out there What if you had a testimony in the way you worked this week? Why? Well, because you report to an Adonai who loves you and calls you to be different. And one of the greatest ways you can do it is by working well. I mean, we do it most of our day anyway. Let Adonai, the great Lord and Master, inspire you today to work hard for him because you know how much he did for you. Heavenly Father, may it change our prayer life. May we look at submission to your word as not something we have to do, but something we get to do because you will not lead us astray. And whatever the difficult call we face, whether we're fearful of it, whether we're nervous, whether we feel overwhelmed, may we trust that you don't send us into things You don't strategically place us where we are to leave us hanging. In fact, you've already promised you've gone out before us. Lord, be with us in those moments where we're tempted to take our own path, where we're tempted to fight our way, where we're tempted to do things you've never called us to do. May we instead submit to your word and trust you For they who wait will renew their strength. And so God, this week, may we be servants of a loving master who died for us and calls us to live out his life to others. Our Adonai, our master, our Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. We willingly and humbly serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.